Welcome, everyone. Episode 82 of the Matt Jones podcast. Today is election. Well, it's the day that the election was over and Amy McGrath beat Charles Booker. And as you know, if you listen to this, that bums me out a little bit. So in order to cheer myself up, I decided to bring on to the podcast one of my new favorite people, one of my new friends, Bobby Bones Star. For those of you that don't know who he is, he has his own radio show that's on all over the country. He won Dancing with the Stars. He's on American Idol. He's on some National Geographic show where he goes to like Bolivia and like makes, you know. <laughs> well, we haven't, start, we don't start that by like two more weeks, but yeah, Either yeah, way, yeah. he's a superstar. Bobby, how are you? Good. I, you know, I'm curious. You kind of shut me up because you wanted to make sure that anything we said was in the podcast. So you started with the election and I only know about the Kentucky uh, Democratic side of the Senate race because of you. And I bet I'd seen the McGrath stuff just because... I watch politics statewide elections from afar. Uh, I'm, a, I'm like you. I'm super dialed into what's happening uh, in politics, but more socially. Yeah. You know, I, I I think I'm probably a little more there than I am every political race. But as I'm watching McGrath, and months ago, you know, she was the great hope of the the Democrats to take out Mitch McConnell. And then because of you, I started to know who Booker was. And we had tried to do this. I think this is our 14th time to try to do this podcast. Yes, we've and had so a long time. It, you were like, hey, I'm on the bus with Booker. We're, we're campaigning. And so then I took an interest in, in him, but him versus her. And if you were going to, because I know it's a heartbreaking loss, um, if now, do you move your marbles over to Amy McGrath because she's <laughs> on that side? And it's got to be a tough thing to do because you were just her adversary. Yeah, this is why you're a good interviewer because that's the 64,000. There's a lot more there than even you know because you haven't uh, bothered to read my book yet. But um, it's not just that she... I never got a copy. Oh, that's true. I forgot to mail it. I'll get you one. Yeah. But it's not just that she was on the other side. She, I mean, Bobby, she cost me my television show. I mean, I, I don't know if you know that, but I, I, I lost my television show because of her. She, okay, what television show? I don't know about this television So this show. was before I knew you, but I, I hosted a, uh, like a political, it was basically PTI for Kentucky. Every day I would have a different co-host and we would debate whatever was happening in Kentucky. News, sports, social, whatever. It was awesome. It, was, it, was not a, it wasn't as much fun as my radio show, but it was close. And, I, and we built it from scratch and it was number one in the ratings. And I was still considering whether to run and... She launched her campaign. She didn't do well. I talked about it on the air and her campaign manager called my boss and said he should be taken off the air till he decides whether or not to run. And long story short, they did. And I ended up losing the show because of her. So I have like, it's not policy so much. There are personal issues there. With that said, I will vote for her, but I don't, I will not spend the time promoting or helping her like I did Charles Booker. I'll vote for her because I don't like Mitch McConnell worst, but I'm not a fan. Okay, well then, man, I know you're so close. You just, you've been in the fire with Booker and you've been in a different fire with McGrath. Yes. But looking from, you know, down into the forest from, from far above, do you not think it would be the greatest statement to go, you know what? regardless of what problems we've had in the past, there are bigger things than a TV show, 
There are bigger things than not winning the primary. And do you not think it would be such a great just service and statement to go and campaign for her? And well, it would I shock would everybody. Well, okay, not so vote. I, no, no, not vote. I'm talking about put the, on, the man, that question. passion in it. Let me ask you answer that question. Like, I think the 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 process of beating Mitch McConnell is important enough to vote for. Here's why I probably I'm not going to guarantee I won't, but I probably won't. My word to me is my bond. The, the reason people like me, a lot of people don't, but the reason people like me is they know if they hear me say it, they know it's genuine. And I think even Republicans who think I'm a crazy liberal would agree that that statement is true. I have major problems with the system that put her as the candidate, and I write about that in the book, which hopefully I'll get to you, uh, and what she personally, not just her, but her staff did to get rid of the field so she could win. I don't think that, I, I've never endorsed a candidate in my life in Kentucky until Booker. Like, it's not something I just do. So I feel like if I then went and said, look, I've never endorsed a candidate but Booker, but now I'm gonna endorse her too, I just don't think that's real. That's not who I am. Okay. Just no, no, I like this is fair. I mean, this is fair. These, by the way, people listening, these are the conversations he and I have. We just go like we kind of I think we're because we're both interviewers, we kind of pick at each other, but go ahead. Well, no, I, I think my point would be at a time where we're we're encouraging people to look at look at things situationally because everybody now is we'll just call it a a, a pure party ticket voter. And it doesn't have to be voting. It is any social issue whatsoever. Wouldn't it be such a statement and against and for everything that you stand for to go, I hate the system. She played by a broken system, but she did play by the system. But I think it's more important to take down the, the bigger enemy than the smaller enemy and say, I also am changing my, I just think it would be such a, a, a See, breath I would of take your politically, argument. politically, Hold on, let me talk. You're gonna, I'm gonna let you talk. I, love I you. just think that it would be such an example for so many people out there. And you could use it for years to come whenever you're telling people, hey, look at the facts and the data and you can actually change your mind and it's okay. It's okay to learn something and change your mind, which you really can't do nowadays anymore. Yeah, I would, argue, I would take all of your premises as valid except the conclusion. So I agree with you. What everyone does now in politics is they say, well, there's two parties. I'm on one side, so I have to justify everything for that side. So for instance, I see Republicans who I know don't like some of the things Donald Trump does, but they take up for it because they feel like he's on their side. And so I have to take up for this because it is my side. And I think that is really the problem in the country. So if I were to justify all of this behavior from McGrath's campaign, and I don't think she's a bad person. I think she's fine. I think her campaign was. If I were to justify all that and go, well, she's on my side, so it's okay, I think that would be fake. Now, she is not as bad as McConnell, so I'm going to vote for her. But I do think part of character is saying, I'm not going to approve of this. There are going to be people this fall who will vote for Donald Trump, and they don't particularly like him. That's fine. But if you feel like because Donald Trump's your guy, you have to take up and do campaign for everything he does, I think that's wrong. So why would I do that on my side? I feel like it should be less about you and more about what you believe in and an ideal more I than yeah, that's fair. Than, than, than it being. And again, I don't know the people in the race. I'm just looking at it from afar going, man, 
and I just all I just wondered if you were going to be on her side too. I know you just it just happened, and mm-hmm. I know as soon as freaking Arkansas loses, I, I'm pissed at, at LSU. <laughs> and but then when they go to a bowl game three months later, I'm like, all right, I'm just rooting for the SEC, and I'll do whatever it takes to get the Pac-12. That that was my only question. No, I think it's, a fair, it's a fair question. I just think there's only so much credibility you have in the world, and you use it when it deserves it. And I'll switch that for a second to you because you know, you're in a unique situation. You host a radio show that is country music. You and I relate to each other in a way that almost no one gets, which is you and I are both, I feel like I can say this, maybe center left of center, but with a pretty conservative audience. And you have to figure out how to navigate that and still talk about how things, things that matter to you. How do you find yourself doing that? Well, I wrote about it in my first book. I feel like I'm 60, 40 to the left. You know, okay. I just because socially, I somebody's got to stand up for folks. If it's people that are gay, people that aren't white, if it like somebody has got, and, and I feel like that's my job. Like, you know, I, and I feel like that's always been what I'm doing. And so because of social issues, I think that's why I would lean a little more to the left. Now I have extreme Southern sensibilities as far as guns go, if I explain to somebody from, you know, that grew up in Hoboken, that guns are literal tools <laughs> for us, yeah. they don't understand. They don't understand what it was like for me growing up. And there were weeks, not just days, but weeks where the only thing that we could afford to eat were the things that we killed because we could only afford bullets or we had like some 12 gauge shells. Like, and we would kill squirrels and, and that would be food. And so a gun was a tool, but because it's so sensationalized in TV and movies, everybody only sees a gun as being a bad thing. I don't see a gun as a bad thing. I see guns being in the wrong people's hands as a bad thing. But again, that's why I just can't say that, you know, I'm a screamer for the left because there are things like that, that, that I have extreme Southern sensibility built into me. Um, but I also think that's why that I've kind of been elected as the leader of my people right now, because I think that, you know, most folks feel like I do. They feel like, Hey, there's a lot of social injustice happening for a lot of folks. And not just now with what's happening with black lives matter, but with gay rights with, and you can go through everybody who's who it's being held against right now. Um, and, and I kind of think that's, that's why I've been put where I am at this point. And, and I have some tough decisions to make in the next year. Or so, you know, as far as, what platform for me allows me to do the most? Um, so, do but you, yeah. So, you, but your audience, okay, so at its core, you tell me if I'm wrong about this, but your success has in part been because you make everyone happy. Like, my success has probably been because I have opinions and whatever, but your success is in part because you make everybody happy. You produce this show that's fun that's exciting, that you get great guests, and it feels like everybody's part of your friend family. And I would think that a lot of people don't want to think about those serious things when they tune in to you. Do you find yourself having to deal with that? I feel like there are certain places I can put certain things and and be effective. I feel like I can't yell anything, especially at my audience, because they trust me with a lot of their day. I'm their companion, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't yell anything at anybody because if you yell, no one hears you. I agree. So there, are, there are things that, and I don't talk about politics. I talk about issues, specific issues. 
but I never talk about it in a political way because what you're doing when you talk about something politically, you're immediately taking 45 to 55%, depending on the issue where I am. And they're just going, nah, not for me. I uh, don't want to hear it. Don't care if you have a point or not. But I think I have a trust with my audience that if I talk about things that are important to me as a person, because they're listening to hear about me mm-hmm. and also my friends, you know, yeah. they're not tuning in to hear the country hits. You know, we're on country music stations because my sensibilities are most like the people that listen to country music. Now, our audience, too, I think it isn't as um, completely lined up the extreme right side as I think a lot of country music is. I think our audience is like us, pretty moderate, on, and they lean both directions. But that slight lean on both sides is also a very accept, accepting group, too. You know, when you're, when you're not from the far left or the far right, and you're not just chunking Molotovs at each other, you actually do listen a little bit. Yeah. And I feel like my audience when I do take those, those times to, you know, and I, you know, I had a, a Senator on there, or a, a woman running for Senator in Tennessee. Um, she's a black woman. She's in the democratic primary. She's not going to win, but I put her on the show and I thought she had something important to say. And I didn't do that for any other reason that I thought what her message was, was important to me and my people. And the first thing that I look out for is, is them. Um, and I think together we've been able to do some really cool stuff, not just charity stuff, but um, you know, I think we've been able to change, even, and I get a bunch of crap from this, if you hear from the country music purists, whatever that means, and I have a whole lecture about that, but I, a <laughs> bit, I've changed what country music is 3%. You know, us coming in and just knocking walls down from when we came in and said, hey, we're the Napster generation, we're the streaming music, we, we listen to hip hop. I play hip hop on my country show, I always have. I play, I play alternative. You know, I think that allowed artists to come on the show, experiment, do music a bit. And, you know, I'll give myself more credit than anybody will. Don't worry. But, you know, I think that, you know, that's kind of what we do. I don't think we just make it. I don't think I make everybody happy. I think that if you come and you hang out with your friends long enough, you're going to be happy. And that's a reason they're your friends. And I think that's basically what our audience is. I think you hit a really important point, which I think a lot of radio hosts get wrong which is, I think, and I think this is true no matter what kind of show you're doing. You know, I do, in theory, sports. You do country music. But this could be true of politics. It's true of Howard Stern. Like, people are tuning in because they like you. They're not really even tuning. Like, great radio shows, it doesn't even really matter what they're talking about. I use the example of Tony Kornheiser was my favorite radio host. And all he talked about on his local show were the Washington Nationals and the Washington Redskins. And I could not care less about the Nationals Redskins, but I cared because he cared. So when the Redskins had a big win, I wanted to hear what Tony said because it mattered to me because I liked him. I think radio hosts don't get that, at least a lot of them don't, that really it's all about people being part of that communal experience. You know, and, you know, I've done many formats. I did a national pop show that I built with my own money and syndicated myself and about went broke doing it. Um, I did a national alternative show. I did a national sports show on Fox sports radio. You know, for me, it was though, where do I fit the best and where do the people fit me the best? And it was in country, but I can do this show on any format because I'm not doing a show built around a format. You know, we're doing the same show. I got the same friends. None of them have ever worked in radio. We aren't very good at radio, but we're really good at being on the radio. And, you know, and there's a difference in being good at radio and, and having success in radio. Um, and, and, you know, we've been able to do it. Will we be able to do it forever? I don't 
don't know. You know, I, am I losing touch? I don't know. You know, I, I never know. And because I never know, I think that keeps me sharp, but I, I, I never know. Well, you're clearly not losing touch because you just keep getting more shows. I mean, like every single to every, I mean, you have like a million shows. Was there a point when you ended up on Dancing with the Stars, which you won, and then American Idol? Like, that's a different level of fame. First of all, people see your face, which doesn't always happen on radio. Like, did you realize, okay, okay, this is a different level of people knowing who I am? No, you know, radio is still the most powerful tool by far of anything I've ever done. Like, not even, even more close. than American Idol. Not even close. Hmm. I mean, it's it's just it's different. It you know what what would change would be the people that would come up and recognize you because there's a demographic with everything. And I wouldn't know if I was in an airport and a 31 year old female was going to come up to me. That was from the radio show. I knew that if there was a 71 year old that was coming up, she watched me dance. I knew that if it was a fan, so everything kind of had its own place. You know, mm -hmm. now I get a bunch of guys that watched me do one episode of Bear Girls, And if a guy comes up and goes, hey, man, I know he probably 70% watch me do Bear Girls, 20% radio, and some of them secretly go, hey, I watch Dancing with the Stars. But, you know, I think that's the difference. And I'm reaching different little pockets of people and this stuff. And even the books that I did, because once they start to get on these, these lists that carry weight, people just trust the person recommending them. And so they'll just read a book, which was unbelievable to me that people will trust somebody and then spend, depending how fast you read days, weeks, reading a book. And at times I've had people come up and go, Hey, I stumbled across your book because I saw it on, on Goodreads and I had a recommendation and I read it. So I think more than, than the people, the, the mass amount of people, it's just, you know, different people come for different things and, and everybody's kind of famous now anyway you can instagram twitter like everybody i don't even know what that means anymore you know there was a time probably when i moved to nashville where it started to feel like things were changing for me and i was like wow people like when i go places people know where i am they take pictures it's even less as i've got more notoriety i've got less of that if you can believe it because now everybody kind of has their own thing well especially in that but that's especially in nashville i mean in nashville Man, i don't know if you came to Lexington, it would be different. People would be taking Nobody your would picture. Care. Nobody cares. They take my I mean, picture, and you're much more famous than I am. I know they would take your picture. It all, again, this is a great point. Only in certain pockets. I say that I'm moderately famous in rural areas when people ask about, you know, if I'm – and, and I think that's what I am. I'm, I'm moderately known in, in rural parts of the country. But if I go to Kentucky, you're way – bigger than I am. If you go, if you were to go to Boston, I'm sure I would crush you. Oh, if I but, go to any of the other 49 states, no one will know who I am. I'm known in one the, state. The fame is a weird thing. It's most, and the only really good thing about it is, is that if somebody is going to fix something for you, you can trust it's going to be done right. And they're not going to dick you over. That's really the one thing about getting a little bit of fame is that if my air conditioner is broken <laughs> and they come over to fix it, they're going to make true. sure it's done right because they don't want me talking about it or, or putting it on Instagram. And I will talk about it on the radio. So that's a very yeah. good point uh, as well. All right. So let me go through some questions I personally had. So, you know, I've told you this, like I kind of hate modern country music. I like think it's terrible. Um, but I know that it's, I know that I'm sort of in the minority on that. Modern country music is very popular. I sort of stopped liking country music about when Kenny Chesney decided to go to the beach for every song. Like when he had a mullet, I, I liked it and then go backwards. But 
my cousin Morgan Wallen is a country guy. And so I see, I follow him and I see all the young country people. They seem like fun folks. So who are the people that are in current country music that you like the most? First of all, you're the guy that just doesn't, you, you just uniformly don't like modern country. That, here's the problem I have with people like you. Okay. It's people, they go, you know, country's not the same or that's not country. This is the true story. And I've done, done a bit of research on this, not only in reading, but talking to folks because I'm lucky enough to have access to big country stars at this point. And some of them are even my friends. And for, I'll give you an example. My grandma, I grew up in Arkansas. My grandma was a massive Johnny Cash fan. Um, and I grew up with Johnny Cash, the gospel singer, more than anybody because I didn't even – he wasn't alive when I was alive. And, I mean, as far as making music, he died. I was obviously old enough. But I'm saying when he was really crushing it, I wasn't alive. My grandmother loved him. I grew up with Andy Griffith gospel, Johnny Cash gospel records. And I would hear her talk about how people would protest Johnny Cash and say, he's not country. He's not country. And she would say, you know, people just thought he was rock and roll and the crap he was doing wasn't country. Then I, I go forward a generation. And, or even two, even like the Merle Haggards, even they weren't country until they changed the format. Garth Brooks, I've spoken with him so many times about this, where Garth is like, I moved to town and everyone wanted to run me out at first because I was so different and they told me what I was doing wasn't country. So what we're seeing here, the common denominator is that every generation, there are these folks who go, that's not country. And as soon as people stop doing that, that's when the format dies. So I'm thankful that people like you exist because you're the reason it thrives. <laughs> no, no, but it's not, it's just not country I like. I'm not saying it's not like, like there's not a huge difference between what Garth and Alan Jackson and what a lot of those nineties country singers were doing and what a lot of these guys are doing. I mean, I guess it's a little more, you know. Sonically I, it's different. And they're all, and, and okay, but I just don't like. I just don't like that. I mean, that's not, it doesn't mean it's not, I guess I shouldn't say not country. It's just not country. I like, I much prefer Tyler Childers, Sturgill Simpson, and people might say that's not country, but it's the country that I like. It's just, it's very bro to me. It feels like you're. Well, you're, there's, there's, there's pockets of it, right? You're looking at, I'm not here to defend country music though, right? I, it doesn't need me to defend it. But I'm just saying you know? like, I'm asking you to like take up for these guys and tell me they're nice because I look at them and they're all kind <laughs> of like, you're nice. Like I would look at you and I wouldn't necessarily think you're nice and you're really nice. So like I see all these bro dudes and they all have gel in their hair and they sing about their trucks and Woo, let's have a beer, beer, beer. And I'm always like, these dudes got to suck. Do they suck? But I think you're looking at seven years ago and it's just okay. not getting to you, but okay. Um, oh, do they, just... I mean, <laughs> Just they're just, they're fine. Some of them, I'm, it's like, it's like any other, I can tell you from working in pop and working in other, that it's the nicest group of artists that the format is so much nicer. Again, I use the word because of sensibilities that most of them grew up with. Okay. Um, so yes, but again, it's just like you put a bunch of humans in a spot and some of them you get along with and some you don't like, you could ask me specifically, like, who are my friends? So who's nice? Give me a couple like really nice guys or women. Okay. Well, I'll start at the top as nice as you think Garth is. He's even better. And I didn't believe it for a long time. I was like, there's no way that, but he's just the, he's the greatest. He's, didn't you do that thing with him at the Opry where it was just like you and him and, and Trisha Yearwood? Is that right? Yeah. And they were the only, Opry's empty right now. And I produce a TV show and I host it too, but we kept the Opry going. Cause that, that's a really important thing to me. You know, my grandma was the one who got me a country music and it was her that got me to the Opry. And the first time I ever performed at the Opry, I covered her favorite joke from Jerry Clower because again, I, I'm a stand up awesome. too. And, and so, you know, I, I do that. And, and when the Opry was going to shut down, I was like, how do we keep it going? And our, one of the last guests a few weeks ago was Garth and Trisha. Empty room, just me. 
those two and had a camera guy. So Garth is awesome. Keith Urban is the greatest. Um, he is nice. He's such a great artist. He smells good. Like I'd put him up there in the Mount Rushmore of, of nice artists. I mean, now, okay, uh, who is in the Mount Rushmore of smells good? Keith Urban smells good. Who else smells yeah, good? Yeah, Jake Owen smells good. Okay. Uh, the L- Little Big Town, they're nice and smell oh, good. Oh, collectively smell good. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And who's for? Um, hmm. The smell good's tough. Those are about the only three that come to mind. Well, Little um, Big Town's got multiple people, so we'll just have them have two spots. Okay. I mean, and also... Yeah, I would just we'll leave that at there. Uh, Derek Spanley's really nice, good friend, you know. But I, I, my goal when I came to town was to make friends with nobody, so I could be uh, objective. completely objective. Yeah, and you, it's just hard to do that when there are so many good people around, honestly. And you go, why am I punishing myself with not making friends with these folks? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Dan and Shay are they've been friends of mine since they were not a duo. You know, and they've blown up now. We kind of move. You, you know, people in Nashville. I don't know who that come- is. Who is Dan and Shay? Okay, you really. So they're. No, I mean, I don't know who that is. Is that a group? You would know. You. It's two guys. And the and the and name of the group had, is Dan and Shay. It's a guy named Dan and a guy named Shay. But they've had massive pop hits too. But they call themselves Dan and Shay. Yes, it's two. It's a name. It'd be like if we formed a group, it would be called Bobby and Matt. Okay, I didn't Listen, I don't know Dan and Shay. I'm sure they're wonderful. I'll play them on the show tomorrow, and I'm sure they're wonderful. But go ahead. Just nice guys. I'm, I'm kind of done with this type talk, but yeah, they're good guys. Um, okay, so you, you're, you're on, how many affiliates are you on with your morning? No idea. But I mean, is it, it's like over hundreds, right? It's over 150, yeah. Yeah, all right. So do you, like, is your theory that what you're doing translates anywhere like that you, are you just sort of like, I'm going to be myself. And if it works in this place, that's fine. And if it doesn't, that's fine too. I think what I do translates anywhere, but it translates better with people that understand how I talk and how I talk about things. And that's country music. Okay. But you, but, but again, why I like you. So here's why I like you. You take an interest that you, you have a rare quality in people that have success which is you seem to really take an interest in other people that have experiences different than yours. And that sounds like, well, of course, everybody's like that, but everybody's not like that. Most people who have success want to tell you about their success rather than learn about someone else's. And you aren't like that. It does seem to me like you have a genuine interest in these, all these different kinds of folks that you reach out to. Well, before you anoint me the greatest person ever, I think that part of it is I'm curious about folks and their stories because I think I can learn from it because then I can get better and then I can rule the world. Right. So it's not completely. So it's all arrogance. Okay. It's not completely selfless, but I do. I, listen, I was given to a lot, right? A lot. I wouldn't be here. Not career wise. Nobody helped me really any, any of my career, but just to get to a point to where I could graduate high school. Like I had a lot of folks who stepped up um, from, you know, my head high school football coach to our youth, uh, you know, youth group at church who made sure that I was able to eat or made sure I was able to have school clothes that I think that that's just naturally in me. Like I don't really do it on purpose. I don't know. So where did you grow up in Arkansas, small town, right? Yeah. It was called mountain pine, Arkansas population 772. Um, and the town still today is segregated by a railroad track. And there was the white quarters and the black quarters, um, it, you know, an impoverished town. And then when the mill shut down is even worse, you know, I don't know that it'll be there in 20 years, even now. Um, but, you know, I didn't have a dad. My dad left when I was five. 
Uh, my mom was an addict. She died in her forties from drugs and alcohol, um, but was an addict her whole life. My grandmother adopted me for a while, raised me for a little bit. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of structure. I never had rules ever. That, I mean, I was able to, you know, go wherever, do whatever that I could have the resources, create the resources to do. Um, and that's where a lot of those great influences come into my life. But that's also where I feel like, man, if people didn't care about my story, I wouldn't be here. So I think it's just intrinsic for me to go, hey, how did you do this? How did you get here? And how can I be a part of helping you so that you can help somebody else? And it's just very selfish because it all comes back to me in the situation that I went through as a kid. So I don't feel like I do it to, you know, to, to, to be a good person or to try to get close to heaven or whatever the rule is. I just feel like it. people looked out for me for so long that I naturally go, hey, I should probably help too. What was like your first big break? Like every time people always ask me, you know, how do I get to do this? And, and I hate to say this, it always seems to me the first break is the hardest break. And then after that, talent and other things can take over. But the first break, you can have talent and not even get it. So what was your first real break? I was 17 and I had begged to clean the radio station in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And, but before my first like cleaning session, my, my biggest break in my life was they fired a weekend guy for stealing stuff. And they were like, Hey, we got to put you on the air. Your name's now Bobby Bones or Bobby Z. And I picked Bobby Bones. That was it. That was my big, everything else. I feel like I have. So you didn't claw. pick Bobby Bones. Somebody else picked that name. Yeah. It's a terrible name. I like I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to change my middle. I was just having a conversation uh, last week about how I'm gonna have to legally change my middle name. So if I do run for office, I, I can use it as my middle name. So people recognize when I go Bobby Bones Estel, they'll know who it is. Why don't you just be Bobby Bones? I I don't want to change my real last name. My mail? What the crap? My mail's gonna be confused. My mail oh, that's, be like, you know, that's the real problem. Like if you're going to run for governor of Arkansas, let's worry about your mail. You remind yeah. me of Charles Booker was like, Hey man, you know, uh, we were talking about the, and he was giving out his phone number when we were doing campaign stops, people would come up to him and he'd be like, and he'd give his phone number. And I was like, Charles, there's going to come a point. You can't keep giving all these people your phone number at some point. And he was like, Eh, I don't think they'll bother me. And I'm like, yes, they will. I, you've got to stop. But I like that you are so unworried. You just don't want your mail to get disrupted. Yeah, I don't have to change all that. You know, if I order another Peloton, they're going to be confused. Oh, another. Yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, I'd hate for your multiple Pelotons to, to get in the way. And also, my girlfriend, she doesn't want her last name to be Bones if we were to get married. Are you crazy? What that would be terrible for her. Which, by the way, we were talking about you on the way. And I don't know what I can talk about, what I can't talk about here. Um, <laughs> if you can, I'll delete it. All right. So how do you talk about your girl on the show? It's a great question. So, yes, I do. But she really – I mean, she – she understands that like for me the show has to be about my life and i and that includes her but she doesn't really like it she's a very private person and she lives in new york and so she kind of she has mixed emotions about it your girlfriend seems cool with it not no not at all she hates but it. you put her in a lot of stuff yeah i do and she doesn't like that a lot of times i think she knows that she also lives with me now so she's just around i would actually I'm going to walk because I think she's cooking dinner now. I'm going to walk over to her. And we, she was asking me this question about you. And we were having an argument about you and your girl. And because okay. uh, I think she would be, hey, Caitlin. 
See, this I is live Matt. podcasting. I like. Will this. you talk? Will you uh, ask him the question we were talking about him and his girl? You know, we're talking about Matt and his girlfriend. Will you talk about that? She doesn't want to do it, but she's going to do it because she. Here, put this ear in. <laughs> I love this. This is. I didn't expect this to come up. Hold on. Put put your ear in there. Say, say hi to Matt. How are you, Caitlin? Okay, so Matt, what we're talking about is your, your girl lives in New York. Yes. You live in Kentucky. Yes. Uh, how old is she? Do you say that? Yeah, she's 28. Okay, Caitlin's, Caitlin's 28. Caitlin, my girlfriend, thinks there is no way whatsoever. Okay, go ahead. Tell, her, tell them what you think. Okay, tell them what you think. Tell them what you You're going to have to get closer, Caitlin, so people can hear you, but go ahead. No, just tell me. I, I they'll, they'll never. That she's never gonna sign up for being a part the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's gonna sign. I don't like. I don't think she's gonna sign up Oh, that's certainly true. I, I don't think we, if if we were to get married, I don't think we could live apart for the rest of our lives. Now, I don't know if that would mean that she would come to Kentucky or I would go to New York, but it, you you can't live apart forever. I, I agree with that. Would but you here's get the married, thing, though, Caitlin, she's, living together? she's going to graduate school at Columbia this year in journalism school, like the number one journalism school in the country. Like, I can't tell her, don't pursue your dreams to come live here in Louisville with me. You know, I feel like you have to be supportive, yeah. you know? I mean, I finished school and then moved. Yeah. Here. So what's, here, the, deal? So what's the deal with you two? Are you going to move in together or what? What's the, what's the plan? Why can't you move? Like, yeah, let's go. Well, Let's I mean, remember, my, unlike Bobby, I don't have a national show. My entire thing is here. My restaurant is here. My radio show is here. Like, it's not easy for me just to leave. I mean, the, and plus, I've lived here my whole life. Life. What? You can adapt for I, I don't disagree. I, did you? Did my girlfriend <laughs> put you up to this? I feel like this. <laughs> I was on her side. I feel like I'm We were just talking we about this. We were just this. talking about this in the car. That makes, listen, it's a fair question. She's coming here for two weeks starting Friday, so I will make sure she sees this and we'll get to, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss it. All right. All right. Here, let me have the, well, he's not taking the video anyway. Okay. All right. Thank you, Caitlin. See, you didn't know this was going to be so much about you. I did not, but. Uh, That's you know, the I problem with having me on any show, because this is what I do. I automatically go. Hey, I'm curious about your situation. I don't really care so much about mine. I talk about mine all the time but that's why you're a good interviewer. Now you're friends with, I need to ask you about somebody. I'm fascinated about uh, the guy that hosts the breakfast club, Charlemagne, who's your friend. And yeah, so I'm, good going, friend. I'm going to make you talk about him as your friend because I find him to be interesting because he's on the radio. I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone who can be such a jerk to his guests and still kind of get away with it. How do you think he pulls that off? Well, people ask the same thing about you, honest to God. Like I don't have guests. Same so. thing. No, but it's the same thing. Like, how do you? At times, people not like you, but they love you, right? Mm -hmm. They do. That's they, true. And you you mentioned this earlier. It's because you say what's honestly on your mind, and I don't think people have to always agree with you to respect you and like you. And with Charlemagne, like I have, I mean, he's my best friend over the last ten years in media, and we probably talk at least every week, you know, we use each other in a good way for different things. There'll be times where I'm kind of tapped out as far as like, man, I don't, it's, 
I don't know how to uh, get on and stay motivated, you know, and, and try to help my audience. And, and he helps me with that. And he comes to me a lot for business stuff. And I was like, hey, how do I do? So we definitely have our strengths. But again, he's the same kind of guy where he comes from a small town in South Carolina. He just hustled his whole way up. And when you relate to someone on such a core level, you don't have to agree on everything. I don't, I don't agree with anybody on everything, even myself. You know, I change my mind all the time. And so, but yeah, he's a really, really good guy. And anytime he needs help, I'm there. I'm going to ask you a personal question. I'm going to have like a little therapy session with you here on the thing. You are as devoted to your radio show in many ways as I am to mine. And during these three months, especially since I haven't been in the same place as my girlfriend and I was isolated for a lot, I sort of realized how much in some ways doing my radio show was in, was like a real part of just who I was as a person and my overall sort of happiness, which I'm not sure if that's good or bad. In some ways it probably isn't good, but it's also true. Do you feel that way with yours? Like, do you think you could just tomorrow give it up and still be happy? No, I don't think so. I think it's, yeah, I don't either. I think I've un in an unhealthy way. I've kind of let it define who I am in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I've tried over the past couple of years to diversify a bit and not just work wise, but find things that I, that I do like doing or, or groups I like working with. But no, I think that this has been who I've been since I was five or six years old. Like I've always known I wanted to do this in some form I've been doing it. And if it was all ripped away, I think it would suck, but I don't think I would stop trying to do it. Even if I do at some point take a career in, let's say, uh, politics, it's the same thing. No, it's the it same is. Thing as the You're exactly show. right. It's, it is very similar. You know, I feel like I would just be leading a slightly different group of people, but I would hopefully still be their rock star. And I think, you know, I didn't get any attention. I had no supervision. I had no love growing up. And I think that's where I search for it now. I think that's for me, that's what it is. You know, I didn't have parents. I didn't have love. And so I think I found mine at an early age when people would go, oh, we're giving you this love now through uh, a microphone or from a stage. And, you know, I found my first ever success and acceptance through that. Yeah, that's interesting because you like I had a lot of love from my parents, but I also was an only child kind of a kid. I was different. I mean, I grew up deep in the mountains, but I was kind of different than everybody. And I realized that if by entertaining them, I could be friends with them and not like on that show, Dave, where he was a little kid and he would just pour stuff over his head to be popular, but like I could like make them laugh, et cetera. And I realized that I could connect to people by talking, but it sort of hit me during these last few months of this thing. Like I was, I was more down the first couple months of this than I've ever been in my life, the combination of my dad being sick and this. And it occurred to me how much of the radio show is a key part of my happiness. And I sort of worried about it. And then I talked to a couple other radio hosts who were like, well, I'm the same way. Sounds like you're the same way. Maybe that's just what it's like when you do this. Yeah. I, it sucked for me for a while just because I felt like because I wasn't in a good place. I wasn't able to give what I always give. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a guilt with me where I was like, the show suck. Yeah, I was and too. Yeah. And so, and I would think about it all the time, but you know, luckily for me, Caitlin kind of happened around, you know, that, and I mean, if anything, it's, she's been healthy for me that I don't just pay attention to work because really until her, it's all I did my whole life ever. I've never had anyone live with me before. I've never been married. I've never been engaged. I've never even thought about that before. 
but until it's been with her, I've never, I, it's been always a hundred percent on work. And now it isn't, I do have a new priority. Um, and you know, it's been a bit refreshing, but yeah, whenever the pandemic hit and the show sucked, just kind of felt like garbage. That's the hardest part about being separated, by the way, from Rachel is because when she was here and lived in Louisville, I felt like I had that balance and you do lose it when it's gone. And her question about like, are you going to move to New York? Listen, like I've thought about it. You know, ESPN has offered me gigs to do in New York, but it's actually less money and it's hard to give up something you built. I mean, like something you to just you know, go be, that to I just get. go be a cog in a machine, you know? And, and like, I, I don't know if I could do that. So that's a well, hard part. I'm going to tell you, if you wanted to, you could, and you would, I, you know, I had to give up my syndication company when I was in Austin and I was on one pop station. I, this is before Comrex were used like they were used now. I went and I, I bought a Comrex and I realized you could stack them and make the signal go a little further because it was internet. No one was really doing their show over the internet at the time. I convinced a station to take my show for free and I paid for the phone lines. I paid for, I paid for everything. And it was a station in Wichita, Kansas and we won there. So I had my show, I was making $48,000 a year. I was paying 19 back into everything to get the show on the air. I was paying a producer to make sure to run the show. I think at the end of the year, I made like $13,000. Now a single, and this is, you're talking about the 2000, this is not 1941. This is, you know, pretty close to where it is now, as far as, you know, what money is. Um, I was hurting, but I, I was good at being broke because I grew up broke. So it wasn't a big deal. And I saw the big picture. Anyway, let's smash cut. I had built my own company to 31 affiliates, big ones too, like big ones as far as like major cities, St. Louis, uh, all those middle size, you know, top 40 Memphis. And there was a point where I went, man, is this what I want to do? And I wanted to do radio, but I thought the same thing. I would like to get to Nashville. There's a, an audience there that is under kind of underfed and i had to give up and sell my whole company and start over and be a part of a cog the iHeartRadio cog and yeah. i didn't I, we went on with 21 affiliates i took less affiliates to come over here but but yeah but you know what's weird about with espn is that's not exactly me like at espn you're not allowed to do what i do every morning like when, but i don't think it's about espn I think it could be anything. ESPN's it could be, but you, it right could now. be, but listen, you know, look, I, I don't have the iHeart connections you do. When I do the iHeart stuff. I only have them because I made them. No I know, I but they look at me, they look at me different, Bobby. Me. Bobby, they look at me as you're the kid. I have one big supporter in iHeart, a guy named Kevin Legrette, who's out in LA. But besides Kevin Legrette, they look at me as the Kentucky guy. They're like, man, it's crazy how good he does in Kentucky, but it's Kentucky. You know, at least you have well, the Nashville thing. That helps. But Kevin, I, do you know Kevin's one of my best friends? Yes, we talk about you okay. before. Okay, so again, it just takes one person to put you it on does. one place right. and prove that you can, it's all about, can you make money for someone, right? Let's not act like it's anything other than that. We're working in a business. Did you have to take a pay cut? When? From my heart. Uh, no, no, no. I still, I didn't give anything up. I still own all my stuff. So, okay. So, so they're gonna, just high, I, but if I went to ESPN, you? it would be, it would be a pay cut. Yeah. No, 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 no. Did you, whenever, cause I had to take a percentage cut before all the, for, they yeah. called all the big talent and they were like, Hey, we need you to take a big cut. And they were like, Ryan's taking a cut. Elvis is taking a cut and like guilting me into, and I would have done it anyway because I wanted my show to be able to all stay together. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, you mean yeah. now? Yes. I had yeah. to take a cut. Yeah. 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 That's what I mean now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when that happened, 
that was a bit weird. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I think with you and your situation, it's what's the long-term play for you? Like, really, what is it? Well, it's tough because there, okay. So again, this is why I think you and I are friends. You are contemplating running. I think this is fair to say for governor of Arkansas, there's a part of me that wants to still have public service in Kentucky. The day I leave for ESPN or New York, that's over. You know, why? because they're I not, live in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm, which I'm borders, which, <laughs> but Tennessee borders matter. Arkansas, New York. Yeah. There's a cultural similarity between Tennessee and Arkansas that is not between New York City and Bristol, Connecticut, and Kentucky. No one would look at you as someone who left, and I don't think I just don't think that's it. I don't think that's true. But okay, it's if that's what you think. I don't think anyone from Kentucky that would well, go. Let me put it like this. this. Let me put it like this. I, as I was riding on the bus when when you and I talked with Charles Booker. We stopped in four towns in Kentucky and we got up and spoke and I introduced him and then he would speak. And, and I have to tell you sitting and talking to the crowd and they weren't there for me, they were there for Charles, but like the way that they looked at that situation and how much it meant to them, I'm like, there's a part of me that says, this is what I should be doing. Like these people, this is what matters in this world. And it would, I still think what I do daily now matters, but I'm not sure I would feel the same way if I was doing sports center every night. Okay. But then I'll go back to my question. Like, what do you want to do? I don't know. That's why you just wait and see. I never thought I would write a book about Mitch McConnell that would end up on the New York times bestseller list. Like it just sort of happened. I mean, I bet you never thought you'd be on national geographic going to towns. Uh, or did you, (laughs) you did think that I just, I, (laughs) Listen, nobody believes in me more than me. I know. So, I okay, then, what, then what's the next thing? If you, if you foresee everything you do, then what's your next thing? I don't know that I foresee it, but I have no limitations whatsoever on myself. I can do anything that I want to do, and I firmly believe that because I should be a statistic, and I'm not. And, you know, that's what I talk to kids about all the time. Yeah, I think the world is bendable. I think mm-hmm. we're not taught that. We're taught that you have to play by the – a lot of times I don't know the rules, so I don't play by them, and it's helped me so – it's hurt me a bit but it's, it's helped me so much more. I believe if I want, honest to God, if I wanted to be president, I think in my crazy head, I could do it. Yeah, there's nothing, okay. I, there's, there's if, nothing well, I've I can ever- first, I can see how that could happen. If you could get elected, this is the true story. And this would have been true for me too. If I could have run for Senate and beat Mitch McConnell, I would have been someone people said can run for president. If you were to get elected governor of Arkansas, as a Democrat, people would say, that's a guy who could be president. There's no doubt about that. The question is, though, the day you do that, people will look at you differently. Are you yeah. cool with that? Because I wasn't yeah, sure if I, I was cool with that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, are you? I've never, yeah, but I've never really tried to appease. But you've also never been hated. Like, I, you, are that's you, one thing. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? So who hates you? I'm the most polarizing figure in radio history. Like, I think Howard, Howard Stern, Stern and Rush Limbaugh no. would disagree with you on that. I would say in my generation, right? They're, okay, they're, all right. they're a whole different generation. Like I've been hated every ounce, every part of everything I've ever done. People like, have thought you? I, uh, the, all the industry, half, I mean, half people in country music because I don't stand for what they stand for. I've never been the guy that fits in. And when you're not the guy that fits in and you're successful, you're what's wrong with it. Can you give me I've a couple always, people in country music that hate you? No, because I just don't want to start those beefs again. I've been through them all. So can I, I Google you know, and find out? But a lot of those were cool now. It's the ones you don't know anymore. 
So, you know, I had a, I had a big run in with Florida Georgia Line for a while. Oh, that's good. I've been on your side. They suck. They do not suck. And they I, suck. And I tell you, I, I think we unfairly oh, were at each other's it. throats for a long time. And I would get on the air and just yell at them and tell them how – but I was wrong. And right. I don't even know what it was know, about. You were right. I was wrong. And I tell you, Tyler, the lead singer, and I, we had coffee once. And he was like, hey, you know, I've been going to this certain therapy place. I think it would be great. And then I had other friends who had recommended it too. Um, Dave Haywood is a, a close personal friend of mine from Lady Antebellum, a big songwriter, Nicole Gallion. They were like, hey, you should go to this place called Onside. But it was Tyler who kind of pushed me over the edge. And I went. And I unfairly was looking toward them for some stuff they said to me, but I had said back. And it was the dumbest thing that we created the biggest beef about. See, no, I hate they don't you're, gonna, you're, you're talking about them going to therapy, which is going to make me sound mean if I still hate them. But like, I'm sure they're wonderful people, but their music to me, it, like when I was talking about what I hate about modern country music, it is all symbolized by Florida Georgia Line. And that's fair for you to think that for you. Okay. I don't listen to their music, really. I like it fine, but they're not my favorite. But I like them as guys. And I can tell you, they probably don't listen to my show and go, this is the favorite show I'd hear every day. <laughs> I don't have to be that. Yeah. You know, but when I see them, we're more, we're friendly. We used to avoid each other. Then we were cordial. Now we're friendly and it's actually pretty good. All right. Let's talk for a second about sports. You're an Arkansas fan, which has got to be a sad existence in the last, I don't know, 30 years. Um, and so I, I wonder like you, there's that. What's the name of the country music singer? It's a big Arkansas fan. They always talks trash when Kentucky beats them. Justin, Justin Moore? Moore is that a, is that yeah. the person? He is awful as a fan. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy, but like his Arkansas fandom, like it's just whiny, whiny. Like, what kind of fan are you? Because I don't. You haven't talked a lot of Arkansas trash since we've known each other. But I believe to talk trash, you kind of need a consistent history to back it up. Okay. I don't mean in just sports. I mean, in anything that you do, if you're really going to be a guy, because I don't believe in talking trash. I believe in trying to talk confidently. If that's your, like you guys in basketball can do that. You can talk confidently. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's trash. Um, by the way, today I had an artist on named Nick Wayne. who was bragging about when, and he's not a Kentucky guy, but when Kentucky would come to town for the SEC tournament here, he was a valet for a while. And he was like, man, we love when Kentucky would come. Cause they were the biggest tippers. They that's would all hard. show up and they would tip like crazy. Um, but uh, you know, I'm a diehard, like, as far as fans go, like I just get torn down. I allow myself to be torn down by them over and over again. How over, were you, you were like a kid, I guess, during their glory basketball years, right? Yeah. 94, 95. Yeah. 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 I was a kid and I remember it and it was awesome, but I didn't respect it because I thought it would just always happen. Yeah. I mean, do you, how old were you? So how old are you? You're 40. I just turned 40. 40. Okay. So you were like, what? let 10 11 for todd day lee mayberry oliver yeah. miller and then you're like 15 16 which is when people are really fans like is that a, scotty thurman yeah and that was a great like so you were your core fandom age arkansas was good so that's got to make it hard that they're not now oh i learned quickly you know i it it sucks well they um, were good we're, forever until like right after that like they were good in the 70s and the 80s and Eddie Sutton, Nolan Richardson. After Nolan left, it it hasn't been good. Although I will say, like we're going to be really good now. I don't know. Like you say, that, okay. No, who's who's the coach? Musselman. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We are going to be really good now. Our football team. We probably got a little work to do. 
Who's the coach but there again? Sam Pittman. But you have to. But it's, and he Sam, got brought into a terrible situation. Sam he was Pitt, a, I, mean, I don't know the name. What is O line coach at Georgia? That's right. Okay, go ahead. But the thing about Arkansas is it's all we had. Much like can, at least Kentucky. Kentucky has two. No, well, no, that's not true. You have at least two major schools in Louisville and the University of Kentucky. Yeah, but we, we have one. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, half of you do, but mm-hmm. we have one school. That, that's everything that we have. And, you know, you, you have even close professional teams that maybe aren't Kentucky. Not really. I mean, the Reds, really the Reds are the only team anybody cares about. But even in Kentucky, 80 to 85% of the state's fans are Kentucky fans. Louisville is really just in the city of Louisville. That's really it. Well, I, I love the Razorbacks because I also like to root for someone that no one expects to win because I guess I just see myself as that too. And so there's a lot of that. But, yeah, I get every year I get – torn down but you know whenever Bobby Petrino was here we were one game from the national championship people forget that like he had turned our program into a nice me they took me to the place where he crashed his motorcycle in Arkansas no I I didn't know that yeah they took me to the place where he crashed his motorcycle aka got got beat up by that girl's boyfriend um but it was like right outside this little it was like on this little curve and like this dude came out of the storm was like this is where Bobby got beat up and I was like yeah that's awesome yeah, that story, I'm surprised. And, and I think people kind of know what really happened, but most of the time people just think he crashed in a motorcycle. Yeah, but listen, did. whatever. We got good for a second. <laughs> we got our hopes up. So it was worth it. Having Bobby Petrino, you're selling your soul. The question is, is it worth it? Yeah, of course it is. It is. What's your favorite or least favorite? Like when I say Kentucky basketball memory, what pops up? Is it a game against Arkansas or a game in another time? Like what pops up? Kentucky, uh, the seven overtime game, football oh, that's game. That's a great game. Matt Jones yeah. versus Jared Lorenzen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was just thinking, like, what's well, the first thing of substance that comes? It's not basketball. It's. Did, did you know Jared at all? Mm-mm. Did you ever meet Jared? Jared was a great guy. I mean, you and you, you would have really liked him. Like, he, he had such a great spirit about him. He died just like a year ago right now and uh, was a very good friend of ours one of the saddest times ever actually he died on july 3rd so it's like about to about to happen but he he was what a great dude and a great spirit and that game that seven overtime game against arkansas is the game that like he when he talks about it it's like he takes himself back on the field like it's like i always just i would ask him about it. i've probably heard him tell a story 10 times just because of how happy it made him you know, we had two of those games, seven overtime games. The first one was against Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that even to us, that game isn't that crazy because we just <laughs> had one before, against Ole yeah. Miss. Yeah. But, yeah, that's probably it. I mean, the Kentucky-Arkansas, when we were both good at basketball, it was just all the time. It wasn't one memory. It was just like, all right, well, strap yourself in because, holy crap, here we go again. Do you, so, sto- you, you remember the game in Memphis in the SEC tournament where – Roderick Rhodes missed two free throws. It went to overtime, and then we beat you. It was the year you then went and won the national championship. 94? Uh, actually, no, 95, because Rhodes, Rhodes then gets kicked off the team. The story was he was up late at night. He missed curfew, and he had a girl in his room. Patino caught him breaking curfew and said, if you don't play well tomorrow, at the end of the year you're transferring. And then he has two free throws to beat Arkansas, misses them, and he takes – Rhodes out. Rhodes doesn't play again the rest of the game, and he just sits there crying on the bench, knowing that his time at Kentucky was over. And he did transfer wow. at the end of the year. Wow. 
Well, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know that. Why would I care? But yeah, it's a what good story. Why would you care? That's a great story. <laughs> I don't give a crap about Kentucky. I don't, why would you I care? Mean, you don't think that was a good story. Here's the thing. I root for Kentucky, obviously. Anybody in the SEC, if, if it's not Arkansas, it, I don't care who it is. It, you know, we'll circle back around here. Um, McGrath is Kentucky. You know, I want to beat the crap out of you. But when it's time at the end and Kentucky's playing uh, whomever, Gonzaga, if they're playing, I'm like, it's Kentucky all, all the way. Like, I, I passionately root for you guys because I just feel like that's my cause. Like, in the yeah. end, it's not my cause cause. It's not like – but I'd rather – what I believe in more so, my pragmatic approach is more of me is invested. So let me just hop in a cannonball in this. In two years, who will be governor of Arkansas? Bobby Bones well, or Sarah Huckabee Sanders? It's not two years. So – what Three I was years. told, re- what I was told recently was, and you and I have had off the record conversations, and we won't, you know, we don't have to share divulge everything here. But that if I do decide to, and I was asked, you know, what, what percentage are you now? And I was like, you know, twenty-five to thirty percent. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I am now, honestly. But if I do, I would need to declare by a year from November of this year. Gotcha. And then you have another year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but again, I don't think I'm going to do it, but there's a good shot. I'm being asked to do it by a lot of folks. I've been through that process and it's a very heady process. And I'll tell you this, this is my only piece of advice. And whatever you do, if you, if you run, I'll give you the max donation and me campaigning for you won't help, but I will cheer you on from afar. But here's the one thing I will say. It is a very heady experience. And when you dip your toe into it, like for real to where like the people take you seriously, it's hard to get out of it. Like, and I wasn't even the favored choice. McGrath was, but there were enough people pulling me that like, after a while you go, Oh man. And then you start getting to a point where whatever you do, you're going to disappoint people. That's what really sucked for me is I got so far into it that then people who wanted me to do it were going to be as disappointed as the people who didn't want to do it. And it was like, you can't please everybody. Well, Will I do it? Probably not. But there's a you know one in three shot that I do. I think some things have to line up, and um, I we'll see what happens. I you know whatever I can do to stay fulfilled, and I think for me fulfillment is if I'm able to speak for folks and can somewhat slightly tug on the the, the culture of a situation. Because I'm not going to be able to change a culture. I don't think any one human is going to come in and just move and just change. But I think if I can tug on it a little bit and actually, you know, uh, kind of get a role, and I think that's 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 my job a little bit. And I think I speak for the people of for for most of the people of Arkansas. I think I come from where they come from, and I think another, um, you know, fortunate, extremely fortunate person representing them, a privileged person, isn't what it's all about. Bobby Bones, thank you very much for taking the time. A great conversation. We'll do it again soon. All right, man. This has been. I, this has been the Matt Jones interview, and I've loved it. I, I try to make all of these things ultimately about myself. So thank I you. love it. Guns and money. <clears throat> Santa lawyers, guns and money. Santa lawyers, guns and money.